Welcome to episode 12 of Ed's Not Dead. Boys, we are back. So what excited. What up? a break. What a break that was. <laughs> it wasn't really a break. Ah, oh, that's true. That was last, last time. <laughs> All right. I am Robbie Dodd. I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Casey Siddons. Chester Finn here. And <laughs> Junior. Uh, Junior. Listeners, you'll find out more about Chester Finn later in the show. And Mr. Peter Crable, of Hello course. Hello there. All right, you can find me at R.W. Dodd, Mr. Siddons at C.H. Siddons, and Mr. Crable at Peter Crable on Twitter. And, of course, our show Twitter is at Ed's Not Dead PC. Fellas, how are you? I'm great. Do you know how the, 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 uh, the average number of Twitter users that do not have – or that the average number of Twitter users that have an actual photo? What's the percentage? Uh, 65 I'm not guessing. Go ahead. 46%. That's lame. That's pretty low. Yeah. It's all those Russian bots. It's all those bots. Mm, Thick news. All right. So today, this will be old news, folks, by the time you hear this episode. But <laughs> today we'll go down in history as the Devin Nunez Memo Day. <laughs> release the memo. Hashtag release the memo. Hashtag release the memo. Hashtag nothing burger. <laughs> uh, hashtag absolutely garbage. Hashtag written by my aides. Hashtag... It was a stupid memo. <laughs> Hashtag dud. <laughs> All right. We have a big show today. Uh, we are going to get into uh, Chester Finn's Chester. recent article. Uh, Chester Finn is Fordham Institute. Yeah, the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. And the Hoover. So yeah, Stanford's uh, Hoover the vacuum Institute. <laughs> Or institution, I yeah. institution, the Hoover, the Hoover Institution. <laughs> that sounds definitely correct. Okay, all right. Uh, Chester Finn has wrote a very th- written a very wrote a very. That's my problem. I don't <laughs> I don't know facts. I only know concepts. Uh, he wrote a compelling piece on the decay of truth because we educators have been teaching thinking skills and not facts over the last 30 years. So we're going to get into that. I know Mr. Siddons has lots to say about Mr. Finn. I do. All right. And then we also have a new installment of Education Excellence with an awesome guest, uh, Jillian Williams from the Rensselaerville Institute will be with us uh, and turn around schools. And she is going to school us on all things turnaround. Looking so, forward to it. And then I think we at the end of the show, we have a top 10 controversial educational issues. We do. Casey's going to guess. Yeah. We're going to see who can guess first. Yeah. We're going to fire it off and see who gets first. <laughs> We've got your millennial trophy sitting right here in case, yes. you, in case you lose again. <laughs> great. All right, boys. What have you been up to real quick? Super Bowl weekend. Yeah. Pick, picks for the game. So, so everybody can hear. Match. So excited for the match. The match. I would, I'd like to point out that I did pick the winners. And by the time this comes out, I will have picked the winner of oh. the Super Bowl as well. And who do you who do you think is going to win the match? Uh, for better or worse, it's going to be Tom Brady. Absolutely, Tom Brady's going to win. Yeah, okay. he wears Uggs, man. Come he's going to wear. He's going to win. Yeah, I agree. In in the third quarter, end of the third quarter. What's the score? <laughs> the third period, actually. Whatever. What's the score? What's the score going to be? Um. 27-24. Wow, that's a good one. Wow, I like that. It's a really good one, isn't it? Yeah. Um. Is uh, Nick Foles going to have a bad game for the Eagles? No, he'll play well. You think he'll play well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but Bill Belichick will walk away with his sixth Super Bowl. It's, of it's, in full sweatpants. It's yes. so painful. Full sweatpants yeah. outfit, and he's going to have a grow a sixth finger. Yeah. And get it sewed on. <laughs> we, we love our listeners in Philadelphia and in the Boston area, but 
I, I really can't root for either team. It's, no, it's a it's a it's a, t- it's a tough one for yeah. for. I think most of the country can't root for either of these teams, though. <laughs> so, I mean, can you? Yeah, I think the Patriots have built up a good uh, national good following. I think so. Yeah, winning yeah. begets fans. Okay, unfortunately. All right. So, other news? Yeah, we have some exciting news in the Ed's Not Dead family. What? Get off your phone, Mister <laughs> Mister Robert W. Dodd is a uh, now a published guy. <laughs> he's a published he's, author. Let a, me. He's a guy that was pub- published. Yeah, he's a guy that wrote something and got published. Um, so, actually, I only co-wrote it. You co-wrote it, but that still makes you published, does it not? Yes, it does. True. All right. Well, anyway, so. Via Johns Hopkins for the Center for Social Organization of Schools. <laughs> yeah, I just, you I got just it. Said, yeah, you got I did. It. Robbie and uh, Doug McIver wrote a piece about Project Success, which I know we've alluded to. And just for anyone out there that doesn't know exactly what that is, Project Success is a program that Robbie co-founded, thought of, brought out of his heart. Yes, <laughs> all, all true. All the a above. School schedule. He was the thought leader for yeah. it. Uh, where secondary students, sixth graders, they have one teacher for four classes. Um, so it's kind of an easing of the transition from elementary school uh, to middle school. We have lots of great phrases in the article, semi-departmentalization. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I prefer to call it semi-self-contained instruction. That would be a much better description. Um, but yeah, it talks all about the benefits of it and the results of Robbie's doctorate, which prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, um, the benefits of project success for student achievement yeah. and how it does increase community, increases student achievement. Um, it's a real winner. Engagement. Engagement, yeah. yes. Yeah. But the bottom line was student outcomes, and we are lucky because we have the pioneering project success teacher in our midst, Mr. Casey said I'm here with Chester. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it, I'm, I'm so glad that it's finally getting the, the, the press that it's due. Yeah. It yeah. cha- it, project success changed you as a teacher, right? It did. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Um, it was very challenging to go from just teaching social studies to teaching four different subjects. But you see it in the kids, the, the, just the benefits in, in, the, in the students that you have almost immediately. Yep. And you became an expert in literacy across the content areas. Yeah. Yep. Because we're all teachers of reading. Who does guided reading in sixth grade in their classroom? You were doing that. We had walkthroughs that first year, and when when the the, the powers that be saw a social studies teacher doing guided reading, uh, a small (laughs) group instruction, I think he was – quite struck by that and a former math teacher miss ginger berry that's doing, right doing guided reading that's right yep, yep and and you had you had killer reading outcomes to show for it yeah it turned out quite uh positive results and yep. i saw a couple of my former students just today actually yep. <laughs> thank so, you thank you to douglas macgyver dr macgyver for um Leading the charge, the the blog post on the Center for the Social Organization of Schools is in celebration of 50 years uh, for the center at Johns Hopkins and the Social Organization of Schools, for those that are not familiar with it, has done an incredible amount of pioneering work in education, K-12, to especially, though, in middle and high schools. Uh, they have the Talent Development Program, which really focuses um, a little bit on what we were talking – what we'll be talking with Jillian Williams about, which is, which is turnaround efforts in schools. Uh, the last thing I will say for our listeners out there, if you want more information about Project Success, you can certainly shoot me or Casey a message on 
Twitter. I'm going to put it in the show notes, okay. the link. Right. Yeah, say, but aside, yeah, aside from the Hopkins website, show notes. Show notes. Show notes. I know you we're all gonna, read them. We're going to tweet about it incessantly. Oh, easily. Okay, to, to, to prime you guys for the quiz show later, um, who knows what success stands for? Oh. Unified student, <laughs> student <laughs> got unified curriculum. Oh, content <laughs> extra student <laughs> student specials. But I got it wrong the last time I said it too. Okay, you are student, a founding. You helped design the program. Yeah, but I didn't memorize the acronym. Okay. Student unified, student unified. Okay, curriculum, curriculum, connecting, combining, <laughs> combining English. Science and social studies. Very good. Very yes. Nice. Yep. Good. Yep. And we got to okay. give a shout out to uh, Mama Cass. Kelly Phillips. Kelly Phillips, who was a pioneer of Project Success and responsible largely for the design of it. So thank you, we Kelly. Should, we should interview her. Yeah, we should. <laughs> yeah. So she can share with our audience about how much PTSD she has from working <laughs> with me. And sharing an office with me. <laughs> uh, that's right. Yeah, Cravel. That was worse. All right. Let's jump into our first segment. You ready? Thank you, Mr. Craves, by the way. Yes, yes. Congratulations. Uh, all right. Uh, Before we do that, I would like to say that if you, when you read the blog and the article – I shouldn't say it's a blog. The, the published article, I think it lends itself to something that we talk about a lot, which is uh, that change from within is possible. And it, it, you just have to think outside the box and try to do something different and – allow things to happen that may be out of the norm but ultimately it's in the benefit of kids. Yep. And I and I well think uh, yeah. yeah, and I think all three of us would subscribe to the fact based on things like project success that change from within is probably the best way to change. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yep. ch- change teacher from- driven change. Absolutely. Yep. Teacher principal driven change. I had to throw principal. In. I know you did. <laughs> okay. Yeah, teacher principal. Wait, teacher principal change. change. Assistant principals do. <laughs> Assistant principals. Do. Okay. All right. So, Mr. Finn, Jester, Jester, does not think that thinking skills have led to um, the honoring of truth in our society. Mm-hmm. And I said to you guys when we talked about this article that you know this goes all the way back to the way tests are written, whether we're trying to assess kids' thinking skills or do they need to know uh, the date that Martin Luther came out with his – what was it? I don't even know. It was know. a piece of paper. It was a piece of paper yeah. about the referendum. Nailed it on a, right. on a door. Okay. I've seen that door, by the way. Have you? Yeah. Ah. Anyway. Yes. So you get what I mean. Yes. Um, so he's written this piece uh, – which is a little bit all over the place. Um, it's it's semi political. He takes shots at the current uh, administration and and the way that they have decayed truth. But he really tries to hold our modern public education system accountable for the decay of truth, and that begins with thinking skills. And just real quick, the the title of the article because it is rather provocative is emphasis on thinking skills over facts in schools contributes to truth decay. So. And and when I when I actually found the article on the twits, I was actually doing research on um, dental care, and um, I actually got lost because I thought it said tooth decay. So I was like, oh, I'm excited because <laughs> I I'm, I thought I had a cavity recently, but it's actually truth decay. But it will lend itself to this show very nicely. All right, so let me read you a quote. To read me the quote. The problem there is that once thinking gets detached from knowledge, the sky becomes the limit as to what one might think and whether it has any foundation in reality. Three decades back, Diane Ravitch and I wrote 
in What Do Our 17-Year-Olds Know that the power of the facts versus concepts dichotomy has grown so great within the social studies field. <laughs> you social studies teachers. You guys are the decayers of truth. Back off. We're decayers. Uh, uh, that some professionals now harbor an instinctive distrust of facts per se. That so was 30 years ago. I know. Well, it's, it's even worse now. I d- um, so d- do you agree that um, – People are focused too much on facts or too much on uh, thinking skills. What's the what's the? It's the common diagnosis? core, the communist core. I I I think it's largely ridiculous. Um, I don't agree. I mean, I think I think again. No, you agree. There's parts of it. You, okay. So take away some of the ridiculous, and we'll get into some of the ridiculous things he says. His article's terrible. Right. The article is not good. <laughs> okay. But what I mean, you've said some stuff about the truth. I'm sorry, the facts versus ideas, you know, and that there is some sort of balance between the two. Give your give your great analogy. Well, I mean, I just, you know, because I'm the geezer on the show, I, I liken it to the whole language versus phonics movement. Do kids learn to read one letter at a time or do they learn to read words and sentences at a time? And can you believe we don't teach cursive anymore? Yeah, I know. I talk Ridiculous. Cursive. So, I mean, there's there's... I think there's a, a happy medium. I, I don't think any of the three of us in our teaching careers or as educational leaders would subscribe to that classroom should be devoid of facts. Um, but I think that we also would subscribe to the notion that we have to teach kids how to think about facts, how to use facts to reason, how to use facts to analyze things. Um, so I, I think there's a place for both. There is a place. There has to be facts. And I remember I remember going through my 10th grade, maybe it was 9th grade, modern world-ish history class, and it was just definitions and facts and dates, and it was not very exciting at all. It was quite boring, and I think it was a missed opportunity because although the, obviously the dates, the facts, whatnot, the battles, they're important, but they're not being applied in any way. If you're not applying them, it's, it's, it's useless. They're not I, – I shouldn't say they're useless, but there is some nuance to it. Do you teach geography? <laughs> <laughs> I took a geography class in middle school. I loved it. See, I don't hate geography. I don't ge- hate it But geography either. has disappeared largely. It has. but it, okay. Well, as a class, it has, but it's no, as, embedded. As, 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 it's it's in, embedded? It's embedded. In the social studies well, When was curriculum. the last time you taught uh, geography or social studies? <laughs> when, when was that? When, when? Do you have a year for that? <laughs> You tell what, what, what you tell me. Tell me about what the the social studies curriculum prescribes in terms of geography and I don't the impact know. of you, cultural how, geography. You're, you were a social studies department leader. You tell me. I will tell you. It's embedded in it's embedded in each curriculum. Okay. Do the kids but, have to learn all the states and the capitals? Why do they need to know that? <laughs> that's ridiculous. Exactly. That's Who what I'm cares? saying. So they don't learn geography. That's not geography. Learning the states is not geography. Is it geography, Mr. Graves? You were a social studies teacher too. It's like political geography. Yeah. Oh, okay. well, there you go. So I guess the answer is yes. You so, answer your own question. so the fact that we don't teach the 50 states is a problem. I just use it as an example. So here's okay. okay. Here's the issue. Here's the issue. Tell me the, tell me the issue. Especially with this article where this I article writes, gesture particularly a foul with me is that I emailed all- him at AOL <laughs> and uh, we're hoping to get him on the show. All the examples that he gives are all in relation to what I would call soft sciences, social sciences. There's not a single issue that he raises here where we're talking about math facts. Those are facts. There's not anything where he's talking about physics, scientific facts, 
there are literally immutable. So he's taking as his baker's basic interpretation things which are interpretations. So an example that he gives that he points to as somehow ridiculous is the fact that we're now squeamish saying that dis- the Columbus discovered America and that this in and of itself points to our inability to take fact from one point of view. And that's where my real issue is, where it's like, okay, yes, if you were living in Portugal or Genoa or wherever Columbus was coming from, yeah, Columbus did discover it for you. But we need to take into account all these other perspectives, all these other ideas, because it's not a fact. There's a difference between a math and a science fact and a social fact. Right. And they're totally different. And I think his point is that in America, we've lost social facts. And anybody want to take a guess what color Chester E. Finn Jr. is? <laughs> I thought his last name was Finn, and he would be white. E. Finn. He has, yes. He's a middle initial. Oh, okay. sorry. Yes. sorry. He would be... E. Finn the third. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He would and, be an older white male yep. who, in my opinion, is looking at oh, what America used to be. Right. And we before we had all these, destiny. before he had all these other opinions, and before we had all these other interpretations, you could just say Columbus discovered America, and wasn't that a simpler time when we didn't have to argue about facts? I just, when I, America was great. I just can't believe that the distinguished senior fellow. That I mean, the Columbus example is just lazy. It's just it's I ridiculous. Mean, yeah, but, but it but it reaches a broad swath of people. Who think that yeah. calling it Indigenous Peoples' Day yeah. is a, 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 a stain yeah. on America? And That's look, what it is. I don't think any of us here are saying we need we need to call it that or get Columbus Day or whatever. But we're just saying, yeah, there's other points of view, and it's probably a little bit important to recognize those. And you know what his problem is, hmm. Mr. Finn's problem is Please is tell. that. <laughs> He didn't have good education and thinking skills because his thinking in this article is incredibly lazy. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's all just, over the place. It is all over the place. But I think what we, I think words matter, and the way that he's using them in this particular article, uh, it's it's trying to fire up his right wing conservative base to say that you know hit all the buzzwords about Columbus Day and. And, and, you know, the never Trumpers or whatever. But I think it's important to note that that's, that's kind of what that part of the political party goes to in terms of criticizing public education. They look for those kind of easy black and white issues. It's like, well, they're not talking about, they're not talking about facts enough. They're not talking about years and battles and all the great things that America has done. And, and, and meanwhile, I, I don't think that's happening in, in social studies classrooms. Question, question for you. So recently, an Iowa congressman, I believe, put forth a bill, maybe a state senator. Oh, I saw, I heard about this. Yes. Where high school students would be required to pass a hundred question, um, essentially mock citizenship test. So, basics of American civics modeled off of um, what n- people that are attempting to become citizens have to make. And with the logic being, well, you live here. You should know a little bit about American civics. Thoughts? I would be okay if they give everybody in Iowa a free ID when they're 18. <laughs> what, does that, what does that have to do with anything? To, to, to let them vote. <laughs> uh, you, you lost me. I, it's, called, I, I don't, it's called compromise. <laughs> what is that? 
So should what do you they? Mean? Can you answer a question? Should Why? they? Why? Is it a good idea or is a bad idea for them to take a hundred questions? Well, so he's, he's, he's a he's a classic progressive educator who will not take a stand because that's facts. That's real life facts, and that's yeah, fact I mean, and policy. So I, I, I'm just kind of curious. I vote, I, they, I, I vote for yes for that. They okay. they also have the the details of that bill would be that they have like six or seven years to do it. So they could take oh, okay. it in eighth grade. They can take it in ninth grade, tenth grade. 11th. They yeah, can take yeah, it yeah. as many times as they want. So, you know what? If they want to add another test, another test for kids to take, go for it. They're already testing the hell out of them anyway. So, do it. This is a no cussing show. I, listen, <laughs> I don't have a problem with the conceit of Mr. Finn's article. I mean, there there is a problem with with truth decay to a certain degree in this country right now. In that. Where do most people get their news? Probably social media, Facebook, right? And it's and it's completely uh, organized for that person's viewing and based on their their friends and their connections. And it's they're not getting it in an objective way at all. No, and I yeah, I mean because you either tune into MSNBC or Fox, right, or CNN or. Trump, you know, right. uh, Russia today, right? Or or you go to the to the different, you go to Breitbart or you go somewhere like that, right? But yep. I do think there's a conversation to be had about education and curriculum and how teachers teach um, knowledge and how kids think about knowledge. So I don't I don't disagree with that. Uh, I disagree with the laziness of his thinking about about the topic. And there, and here's the other piece that I'd be curious to hear your thoughts about. So. When you think about 21st century skills and 21st century learning and kind of some of these other buzzwords as they pertain to education today, it does focus primarily or exclusively on thinking skills with the basic premise that um, information is available. The job and the skills that you learn today are not the jobs and skills that you're going to learn or need to have four years from now when you need a job. And so, or you need those thinking skills when you find that article that's completely right, fake. Right. So, n- the kind of premise is like nothing that you're doing now, per se, the information might not be that useful, but the things in how you're learning is what is going to be useful. And I do think that this article and generally this this you know point of view is a pushback against that and saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, maybe there are some things that we should just teach that we should all know, and. I would say that maybe the truth in there, as terrible as this article is, and as much as I disagree with him, is that maybe some of that social societal contract, the things that we all know, the things that bind us, the things that we have in common, you know, maybe that's where that comes from. Yeah, I mean, there's a set of principles, right, that the country's founded on, and and I think some people think some of those have been lost. Um, so I I get that, but again, um, Mr. Crable. To your point about perspectives, he only took one perspective here, and and um, you know we know that we've had curriculum in schools that for too long only taught one perspective on everything from civics to science to um, to English. I mean, there's 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 been that dominant cultural perspective, and we've had discussions about we had Zaretta Hammond on this show tell us that schools were set up to to entirely in the image of that perspective and and not to serve the interests of black and brown kids in this country and um he's pretty much saying that 
that's not how schools should work. And facts, facts are obviously important, but fa- from a teacher perspective, facts are easier to teach. They're they easier are. to teach. Ooh, good point, Mr. They're, Sims. They're, you can just have flashcards. You can have easy quizzes, multiple choice, all that other stuff. It's easy to teach facts. Do you know this and remember it? No? Then yeah. look at Correct. it again. Yep. Then you need to read that definition again and do it again. Read that article again, whatever. The other the, – the thing that he mentions in if there – If they're so easy to teach though, why can't kids – well, I want to hear a math teacher the other day said that kids don't know their basic facts. Be, uh, yeah. I, well, because they're pushing them through and they don't know their facts. But forget well, that. The, no, he, they'll, they'll he, use, he said easier to teach, not easier to learn. Oh, very good. Uh, Thank good you. Distinction. Oh, nice distinction. The, the one thing that he does mention in there that I've – I took – I, I shouldn't say I took issue – I remember reading about it. It's about the tree octopus. And there's a there's a <laughs> what? Click on the link. So I'm clicking on that. <laughs> why? So the the tree octopus thing that he mentions is is interesting because when when I, the last time that I was uh, in the classroom, one of the ways that we taught uh, English, a topic in English was about media literacy, and we started the lesson with talking about the tree octopus. And there were sixth graders, and. About, you know, generally when we would teach it, about 95% of them, they would go through this site. Someone set up a site about a tree octopus. And it's completely false, obviously. But the, the website is set up so that you can help kids go through and determine and help determine, you know, if this is truth or not. And there's always like 95% of the kids don't think it's – or they think it's true. Right. And then there's 5% who are like, wait a minute. Hold on. Very early on. But he uses this this particular instance, and yeah. I don't I don't know. It just seems like you're me, cher- he's cherry picking. Let me just say, when I was 20 years old and studied abroad in Australia, <laughs> the Australians messed with all the Americans and told us there were drop bears. That if you walked under the trees, these bears would fall on your head. <laughs> and there was a not small portion of myself that believed it, and I was 20. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> I, I'm feeling a little. I'm feeling a little guilty about how we, how we, no. took Mr. Finn to task. I am not feeling guilty at all. Okay, I'm going to email him. I'm going to send out his email in the show notes. All right, all right. Good, good discussion, boys. <laughs> you don't care about that? <laughs> no, I don't. Don't feel guilty. <laughs> don't. Don't be. Don't. Yeah, don't get mad at my friend Chester. He's a good man. All right, uh, folks, don't go away. When we come back, we will have our latest installment of Education Excellence. So don't go away. We'll talk to you. Boys, we are incredibly lucky to have Jillian Williams from the Rensselaerville Institute on this installment of Education Excellence, produced by Mike Levin-Epstein and Sue Semplis. Jillian started her career as an educator in 1990, working as a bilingual teacher in Washington in the Washington Heights section of Manhattan. In 1997, Jillian became the youngest elementary school principal. That would be fellow. She was 27 years old. Yikes. Yikes. Um, I'm already behind. Uh, yes, you are. Uh, of New York City's most beleaguered schools, Public School 63 in the South Bronx. Jillian assumed the presidency of the Rensselaerville Institute in the spring of 2010. Her appointment by the Board of Trustees was grounded in the achieved success of School Turnaround, which she founded and developed at the Rensselaer Institute, Rensselaerville Institute. Jillian is a national leader in education and was featured twice on the CBS television program Sunday Morning, 
which is not as good as Ed's Not Dead, but that's all right, <laughs> as well as several NPR radio segments. She's appeared in numerous publications, including The New Yorker, The New York Times, U.S. News, and World Report, and Education Week. Jillian, we are so psyched to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good to be here. All right, so let's get let's jump in. Um, a lot of the work you do with schools in helping schools with their turnaround efforts starts with leadership. What's different about the way you guys work with teacher leaders and administrators in the school turnaround arena? Yeah, I mean, I think the main thing is that when you're working with leaders, the last thing you want to do is give them a script that they have to go on. That's kind of counterintuitive when it, when you're wanting somebody to lead. So for us, it's really about what are the behaviors and characteristics of people who lead turnaround, and then what are the strategies that they use? And when you talk about behaviors and strategies, you allow for people to to be idiosyncratic and kind of handle it the, the way that they see best, which is how leaders leaders are successful. And you were you were one of the first to pioneer that term school turn, turnaround in 2000 that that came on almost on the heels of no child left behind um where it's now become a, a common phrase for us to talk about it with, with regard to lower performing schools perhaps but what do, what do you how do you define school turnaround Yeah well uh, you know back when we first started it we got hammered for for people thinking uh, that we were a hostile takeover group, you know, that was the one thing we ran up against. And then Arnie Duncan didn't do us a lot of favors by um, by putting it out there because then you had a proliferation of folks thinking, oh, this is a good way to make some money. Um, so far, oh, oh, you got, you got, was, give, give us more on Arnie Duncan. What did he do? Just, oh, just clarify. No, I'm not, you know, <laughs> no way. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but I will say that. Look, turnaround is something that's gotten bastardized as a as a term. It's really about can you raise achievement for kids in a short amount of time in ways that will will stick around, that'll be durable. Mm-hmm. And and that's not about putting some cookie cutter program into place and saying do these things. Here's another compliance checklist. If you just do it, you know maybe you'll get some results. Maybe you won't, and we'll slap the name turnaround on it. <laughs> So I guess you've talked a little bit about, um, you know, not being formulaic. So can you go into a little bit more detail? So what does that mean? I mean, in working with school leaders and letting them be who they are, I mean, are there characteristics that you have found um, lead to successful, I guess, school turnaround or things that lead to school improvement? I mean, what what are some of the patterns you've you've noticed that have emerged? Yeah, I mean, that's really how we started School Turnaround was was that we went out and we took a look at people who'd actually turned around low-performing schools or districts and said, what are the common things that we're seeing in these people? And it's really based on this idea that, you know, there's no mandate, there's no funding stream, there's no policy that's going to make change happen. It's always going to come down to a person. So we ought to look at people. Um, you know, it's a great frustration of mine that to this day I've been yet to be, to find a state ed department that asks about the person who's going to lead turnaround versus the, the plan and the mandate. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's none of, and none of the strategies and none of the characteristics we look for are rocket science. The number one predictor for us is energy. Does the person have that? staying power to, to, to keep it work. I mean, you, you guys know this, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, can you get a second wind at six, seven o'clock at night and keep at it? Yep. Yep. Um, 
So would you – when I read about schools that are low-performing and I've worked in a couple where we had a lot of work to do with outcomes um, – and there seem to be different kinds of ta- challenges. Lots of times those schools have significant cultural issues or technical issues. When, when you work with leaders, how do you look at culture, climate, or do you start with the instructional program and instructional leadership? What, what's, what's, what, are, what are your entry points for that work? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the entry point for us is what's the academic achievement of kids because that's what schools are, that's what schools are signed up to do is okay. to help kids learn. And I think all of those other things can come into play. Mm-hmm. So if the culture is bad, sure, that's going to contribute to poor academic achievement. If the custodial services aren't cleaning up, you know, the floors, then kids will get sick and that'll contribute to academic achievement. I mean, there are there are all kinds of things that go into at that, but I, the bottom line is where the outcomes for kids that we're responsible for are have they learned well. Um, and I, I think that's where we, we get confused and we aim at the things that are, that aren't the, there aren't the long-term goals. Right. They're, they're, they're important, but they're not the focus. Sure. I mean, yeah. you know, does attendance count? Does yeah. culture count? Yeah, mm-hmm. it does. But, you know, not they're not ends in of themselves. Got it. Okay. And, ahead, and I guess a follow-up question, this is going to be kind of an annoying question, but, I mean, how long does it take? So what's, what's the expectation? Because um, I'm thinking, you know, you get a really dynamic, energetic principal and maybe a couple leaders in there. You know, does that change? I know that's the first step, but you know, kind of for those other dominoes to fall, how long does that take and how do you know when you're there? Yeah, I mean, I I think that turnaround itself should take a couple years, two, three years tops. And that's the main turnaround. But I think that's where it differs when you define turnaround versus you define making a school excellent. Mm -hmm. So turnaround for us is can you can you change the trajectory that a school is on, whether that's reversing decline or it's increasing the speed of achievement, um, interrupting a flat line, whatever that is, it's a, it's a major change in the trajectory. And that should only take a couple of years. People don't have the, the energy to sustain turnaround or the stomach for it, frankly, because it can be pretty disruptive. And then you got to make sure that you set a school on a, on a path for durable achievement, that that's going to last and you got to have other people in the building who can help make that happen. Uh, can't just be, you know, a, a single, that cult of personality leader, I think is a fallacy as well. Yeah. Even, even though Robbie tried to <laughs> cultivate a cult of personality. <laughs> well, I did. I mean, it's all I had. It was, it, right? <laughs> it was my go-to. Come on. That's, that's, anyway. Yeah. Uh, in, well, you're, you're, you, uh, you were talking about durable change. What is that? What, what does that even? What does that look like? What does it sound like? How does that work with with what you do with schools? Well, I think the the, the two things. One is you gotta you gotta be coming at this change for the long haul for kids. So it's you know it's not test prep. It's not just raising scores here and now. It's changing the behavior of adults so that so that that change is going to keep coming. Both so that you know a kid who's in fourth grade now and learns how to read really learns how to read and think and divide and 
whatever cool stuff they're learning in right. fourth grade right now. <laughs> and, and, and that that keeps going, but it's also that next year's fourth graders are going to learn how to think and read and write. It's that the, the change in behavior in adults has to be what, what sticks around, and that's leadership at the building level with the principal and the assistant principal and the teacher leaders, but it's also all the informal leadership that comes with that, which is, you know, whether it's all the way to your school aid and your parent liaison and all of that, um, that are going to make things things really shift. And, you know, that's the, if you want to talk culture, that's the culture of success because everybody's lined up with that. And again, that's where the, the no cookie cutter plan or program will help you do that. It's got to be based in the way people behave and the strategies they're using. Right. All right. So speaking of that durable change, I'm sure uh, when you were a principal, a 27-year-old principal in a really challenging educational environment and now um, with the Rensselaerville Institute, I'm sure a lot of your work is with teachers um, and how to really improve instruction. Do you do you have to, in, in turnaround situations, is some of that hardest work in the classroom with teachers? Do you use the evaluation systems that are already in place? Um, do you have have to work in collaboration with unions? How, how do you do that piece to get everybody, especially teachers, pulling in the same direction? You know, I think it is real. The, the, one of the basic premises of what we do is is follows the beliefs that people don't get better because they're monitored. They get better because they're helped. Yeah, Ooh, I, and, like, I like that. Write yes, that down, Casey. That down. Uh, write on. that down. That's a good one. Okay, go ahead. So, I, you know, I'm glad you used the word collaboration. That's great. I like it way better than any of those other dumb C words like <laughs> consensus or compromise <laughs> or communicate, which I could riff on all day while I don't like those. But collaboration is when you get people in the room who don't think alike and it's going to be kind of messy and you know people think it's this nice neat sort of processy thing and that's that's not what's going to happen you you got to have you got to have divergent thinking that's going to lead to something that no one person could have come up with so i i think it's that combination of when there's a real commitment to helping people get better and uh into collaboration that's that's sloppy and messy and, and unexpected. Right. Um, and that's what's going to feed into it, not you know this, this age of accountability, because nobody woke up this morning on this call wanting to be more accountable. I'm pretty sure of that already. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and I call that, that coercive accountability certainly doesn't work, right? I mean, but... Oh, there's another C word. <laughs> yeah, I know. I like that one. Yeah. yeah. Or, or compliance. Okay. All right. Go ahead, Mr. Krabs. No, I'm just thinking, so when... <laughs> Would you go into to schools with your scalpel? No, just kidding. <laughs> no, when you go into schools and you're working with teachers, um, I mean, I'm sure there's some teachers that it's like, you know, within a certain amount of time, you figure out, all right, they're, this is just not going to work or they're just not going to be here. And so maybe after a year, you transition them over and you bring in somebody else who is willing to do the work. One thing that I've seen, and I guess my question is how you counteract this, is after a certain number of years – you know, a lot of a lot of staff do leave, and they put in their three years, their four years, their five years. So you talk about kind of the enduring change and the change in beliefs of staff is a good way to enact meaningful change. But how do you get teachers to stick around for the long run? 
Well, I think the first thing is you don't bring them all in from the outside. And I say that as a, you know, as a Teach for America person. So wherever you fall on that, you know, I came in that door um, mm-hmm. and I don't think there's anything terribly wrong with it. But you, we have to figure out ways to build local talent. That's number one. And I think number two is this assumption that there's good teachers and bad teachers and we and we somehow get our, our pick of those um, or that good teachers will leave. I think those are those are just based on what past experience is, not what not what we really ought to be looking for, which is how do you help people grow better? I mean, there's there's a you know there's the the laggards in there, which is a very small <laughs> the laggards, group of people. laggards, and I then love there's that word. the the actively evil, the ones who woke up <laughs> wanting to harm kids, but it's such a small number, right? That's really in that that. You know, are there teachers out there who are ineffective? Sure, they are. Um, until we fix some brokenness in in uh, in how we train teachers to start with, we got to help the ones that we encounter in turnaround situations get better. Because most of them went in with the right with the right motivation in the first place. Right. Yeah, we used to have a superintendent that always used to say that. Teachers aren't disposable, and and I think I think that's what I hear you saying that we need to develop them. That gets back to that line that we love so much. Uh, they get better if they're helped, right? Um, yeah, I mean, and and also you like the kids that walk in the door. Those are the you know that line about the kids that you get are the best ones right. the parents have yep. to send. Yep, it's the same thing applies for teachers. Yep. Uh, last question. So. The Rensselaerville Institute, I'm curious, I don't know if the guys are, so did you, um, as much as you know, did you go beyond being a principal? Were you an associate superintendent, or why didn't you think of the superintendent game? What's what's that all about? Um, You know... Go go ahead, go ahead. (laughs) Are you sensing a hedge here? Yeah, I know. It's the first time you've hedged the whole whole interview. Politically correct here. No, I. Um, I think I'm not sure I knew it at the time, but I I did think about running that running that route of being superintendent or associate superintendent, and for me, um, just prefer to sit outside of that, uh, but still be working within the public system. So I didn't want to go out and run charter schools or be a advocacy person i think i get to work with a lot of superintendents and deputy superintendents but when you're a turnaround person you you kind of help from the outside and right. you move on and i think there's i think one of the things the rensselaerville institute's figured out that's unusual is how to be a good outsider mm-hmm. you know how to walk into a school in birmingham or clarksdale mississippi or middle of nowhere you know uh maui and say, hey, I'm from New York, and at the end of the day, I fly back there. So right now, let me help you with this change that you're owning locally. And that's there's a power to keep and change owned locally, and it is dependent a little on on people from the outside behaving like good outsiders. Right. Well, Jillian, this has been great uh, on behalf of the boys, right, right, guys? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, you do you, where can are you a social media person, Jillian? Twitter, anything like that? You want to share with the audience? Yes, I am. You all can find me on Twitter. It's Jillian underscore tri. 
Okay. That's probably the best way to find me. All right. Well, we're all going to be following you after this interview. Um, Once again, thanks for coming on Ed's Not Dead. Um, We would love to get you back on the show because we we feel like, right, Peter, we just scratched the surface with some stories that you have. We'll go, we'll go off script the whole time yeah. next time. Especially that Maui trip. What's yeah. Is that what you get to do? And we'll do a special episode we, where we can cuss. Where you can, where you can, go, to, where you can go to Maui. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll just get you one of the principals from out there to there talk you to you. <laughs> All right. Well, Jillian Williams, president of the Rensselaerville Institute. Thanks again. Hopefully we can get you back on Ed's Not Dead. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jillian. Thanks, guys. We were thrilled to have Jillian Williams on this episode's version of Education Excellence from the Rensselaerville Institute. Through strategic partnerships with districts and schools, the Rensselaerville Institute helps dramatically improve academic achievement for all students. The Institute's research and results-backed approach creates a clear and essential tie between the work in the school and in the surrounding community. And that's how they work. The Rensselaerville Institute builds local capacity in schools and communities so that the people who work and live there continue the positive, durable change long after the partnership is over. During the two-year partnership, turnaround specialists who have all turned around at least one school themselves, like Jillian Williams, help leaders shift their behaviors such that teachers get specific instructional support every day and students learn the content and skills each one needs every day. The Rensselaerville Institute equips leaders with site-specific strategies, tactics, and focus to dramatically raise results within two years, and they stand behind it with money-back guarantee. A partner principal recently stated that, quote, many times we talk about how to turn around a school, but how we do it is something that is completely different. The Rensselaerville Institute has allowed me to look at our efforts and compartmentalize each effort to see if those changes are making a difference with our students. Partner with the Rensselaerville Institute to boost opportunities for our most important asset, our children. You can find the Institute at www.rinstitute.org. All right, welcome back, folks, to Ed's Not Dead. We are in the home stretch of episode 12. Mr. Siddons, if our audience wants back episodes, what do they do? Where do they go? They go to Libsyn. They go to Libsyn. Libsyn. And Facebook? They can go to Facebook. Okay. Uh, they can go to they check get out our a, link on LinkedIn. Right. And Ed's Not Dead PC. They can get shows, right? Oh, yeah. That the, absolutely. The links are in there. The links are all there. Okay. We tweet them. All right. Mr. Krabs, get off your phone. I'm trying, to cheat. I'm trying to cheat for this upcoming segment. Be in the moment. <laughs> oh, oh, he's cheating. Look at that. I know. Did you see that? Uh, did I cheat? <laughs> no, you did not okay, cheat. Thank you. you Guess cheat. how much I got? You got nothing. <laughs> I didn't right. even click on a link yet. <laughs> and the reason why Mr. Crable's cheating, because it is game show time. <laughs> All right. We, today we are going to do the top 10 most controversial education issues. In the history of the United States. I kind of like how we have a news segment every episode. <laughs> a, a new segment? Yeah, it's like yeah. a whole whole new thing. Well, we're not doing Dear Betsy this this episode, so. I know. I'm over that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so how do you guys want to do this? Do you want to do you want to call stuff out yeah. or do you just want me to go run through the top ten? <sighs> let's, 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 throw, let's see if we can throw out. I mean, it won't be a competition. Relax there. 
Baldy. I know. Okay. Miss Baldy. <laughs> he has. He's so such what, anxiety. What, Jeez. You know, what's I, what's the what are you going to do? Are you going to like give a are you going to detail no, just, the event no. and then we have to name the title? Oh, oh, that's a good idea. Or are you going to say the title and we have to explain? No, we're going to throw out broad. We're going to throw out broad ideas of controversial issues. And he'll tell us yes, and then he'll expand upon no, them. No, I don't like that. I don't like that. I think you should describe them, and then we'll identify them. He's such a millennial, isn't he? It's okay, here's one issue. Okay. Can we start? Yeah. No, I no, have, no, no. Because I have not, one. We're agreeing on that? Top ten. That's ridiculous. Desegregation. And what? what? Top ten. No Child Left Behind testing for all states. Uh, t- t- uh, testing is in the top 20, but it's not the top 10. Wait, so education issues, desegregation is not a top 10 I education issue. I just told issue. you no, can you, can you give the description of the event Okay, we'll identify it? That was like the only one before. I had, so now I don't like the rules. <laughs> Let's change the rules. Um, You're taking too long. The, the creation of the Department of Education. No. All right. Number 10 is online education blended learning. That is number 10. It's very, it's oh very controversial. No. Wow. Okay. Yes, it's a barn is. burner. It is number 10. That's a barn burner. All right. Let's go to, uh, that was a weak number 10, but it's supposed to, it's going to get progressively more controversial. I would hope so. I it's promise. getting hot in here. All right. Number nine. Since the beginning of public education in the U.S., primary schools have been public. <laughs> well, I, that's, good. We... that's good. Think about in one open, school, open to all small schools. Now you're getting warmer, Mister Craig. Pre-K education. <laughs> he's just got his death. The great equalizer. Nope. I don't know what universal pre-K. Come on, think about who we educate in public schools. Everyone. Yeah, there's only two kinds of kids, though. Girls and boys, transgender education. Oh, that that does that yeah, does that's a good one. That does change our that does change the argument a little bit. Yes, number nine is the controversy surrounding single sex schools and whether they have uh, a place man. in American public education. I was in a high school class last week. There were thirty boys in it, not by design. Just and it was like a little engineering class. It was awesome. I went up to the teacher. I said, "You realize there's." Okay, 30 what, boys what does it, that right? say about females in STEM education? Well, there's a problem with that. What I'm saying is the the what I you totally threw me off my game. <laughs> that was good. You're right. There's a there is a disparity and I didn't even realize it. Look at all the boys. That it's was, wonderful in here. No, it's more I was more astounded by the fact they had like 39th grade boys and it it was not crazy. <laughs> it was not crazy. Yeah, Cuz yeah. if you had been in the class in ninth grade it would have been It would have been awful. a show. <laughs> All right. Anyway, all right. Yeah, you're right. I apologize. That, that is true. There's okay. a disparity in, in females actually signing up you're for start, that class. You're starting to sound like Mr. Finn. Uh, <laughs> number eight. Oh, <laughs> he's cheating. You got to give us a clue. We have, we have already number proven eight. totally okay. inept. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll let you get this one. While schools and teachers impart knowledge to students in myriad ways, from in-class discussion to hands-on activities and online research, one thing remains a basic means of learning. Lecture. Close. Re- reading. Mm-hmm. Very close. Mm-hmm. Textbooks. There you go. Bing, bing, bing. I looked at his computer. <laughs> Textbook controversies. Now, you need to stop. <laughs> well, you have your computer like an old man. Okay. Number seven has to do with teachers. Teacher evaluations. 
Correct. You cheated again. I did not. Yes, you you did. moved your computer. I can't see it. Number six. This is. This, You're not even going to explain this is, something about teacher evaluations? No, nah, it's pretty self explanatory. Oh, God. Um, number six. This is near and dear to your heart. You ran about it all the time as it relates to teaching and assessing kids. Come on, Mr. Krabs. Standardized testing. Nope. I mean, he said that was top 20. Um, I don't know. Give us a little more details. Yeah. Come on, man. Um, traditionally, schools assign blank. Oh, tracking. Nope. To students when they complete work. Oh, oh, grades. Grades. Standard-based grading. All right. Sidden's got that Lack one. thereof. Uh, yes. Abandoning letter grades is number six. We can only hope. Number five. Uh, <laughs> I'm terrible with the clues. <laughs> Uh, Did you read this? Like creationism versus evolution. This Climate in, change. This in school is a controversy which stems from issues of separation of church and state. Oh, praying in school. Prayer in school, what? Mr. Krabs. Ding, 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 ding. Number four. Uh, public law 94-142, I think 1972. IDEA. Special education, yes. educating nice. students with special needs, number four. Uh, what's that public law again? Who remembers that? Nine, four, nine, seven, one, two. Four, seven, six, How? niner. See, I like facts. Public law, <laughs> 94, 142. Yeah, where's that getting you? I, I think <laughs> Where do you use that? It's impressive. Do you go it is, it, facts are impressive. <laughs> yeah, you have you to say. You go up to 7-Eleven, you'd be like, hey, do you know what public law, one ninety four eighty six seven is? Number three has to do with – this one is weak sauce. I'm just going to tell it. Uh, number three is gender dress restrictions. That did not really yeah. – uh, no, it doesn't do much for me. Dress codes generally maybe, but yeah. – All right. Can you send me that link so I can put it in the show notes? Number two. Number two, alternative ways to educate kids not in public schools. Online learning? Nope. MOOCs. Nope. Come on, keep trying. Say it again. Uh, Alternative ways. Not uh, other schools. kinds of schools that Voucher, are... That vouchers, are, charter schools. Charter schools. And number one, uh, dear Betsy, uh, bears, rural schools. schools. Weapons in schools? Guns, Ooh, guns at schools. schools. Is that really an issue? It is. Th- Listen, in Maryland, they just introduced a issue. bill to allow teachers... To have guns in schools. That is insane. Issues mm-hmm. of gun ownership and gun control are among the most controversial in the nation. Gun rights advocates em- emphasize the individual's constitutional right to bear arms. Blah, blah, blah. Now, wow. Now that discussion is moving to schools. Okay, so that's your top 10 controversial education issue <laughs> list. <laughs> it was fairly weak. From Facebook. It was not from Facebook. <laughs> I will send you the link to put it in the show notes. Oh, good. Yes, yes please do. All right. Okay. Um, Updates before what we... What do you think is, of that list, is the number one issue? Of that list? Yes. I would probably say in the last in the last 10 years, at least, I would put charters at the top. Charters? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. I think charters. Yeah. You hate charters. Mr. Crable wants to own a charter network. I don't know it's, enough it's about m- charters. I just know it's a threat to public education. No, I think charters are just modifying what public education looks like. Unions know? hate them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand why people don't like them, but I mean, in terms of impact, you know, everybody can have an opinion. Yeah. You know what I mean? And some some of that stuff, I think it's people are like, oh, I don't know. It doesn't really apply to me. But 
All right, here are some of the honorable mentions. Uh, homeschooling, bilingual education, uh, school-supplied condoms. <laughs> Why did I know I was going to get a laugh out of you guys? If I said. <laughs> what do they say about that? Uh, abstinence-only policies. Okay. Uh, okay. So, all right. We've pretty much – No, I want to know more. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll give you <laughs> – Two a, more. Uh, um, uh, desegregation. That was in there. Um, <laughs> He's shaking his like, head. That's the single that's, most important issue of the last hundred years. Corporal anyway. corporal punishment. Oh, that was that's a that's a big it's one. A thing high stakes testing. So one. none of these made the top ten. Uh, Ivy League nude posture photos. <laughs> what? <laughs> you can look. Uh, I don't know what that is. Okay, that <laughs> that's okay. a sponsored ad. <laughs> so that is not. It says image source. Is okay. number twenty bears? Uh no. Okay. Common Core State Standards were in there. Okay. All right. Who wrote this? I don't know. Chester. <laughs> anyway. All right. So it's been a great show, everybody. Yes. Right, boys? Yes. All so right. Good. Mr. Siddons, please tell the audience where they can find us. You can find us on Ed's Not Dead PC, which is our Twitter account. You can find us – actually, if you Google Ed's Not Dead, we are the first five or six hits, five or six links. Okay. And, I, and I will say, if you go on our Twitter, if you haven't been there in a while, we are – Starting to put out some some new articles, some ideas. So if you're kind of looking for some it's some stuff we've talked about, but a lot of stuff that we haven't. So if you're just okay. kind of interested in some stuff that's out there, um, just to kind of bone up on your education game and issues in education that were not on that top ten list, um, <laughs> yeah, check it out. It's true. Yep, and please get on Ed's Not Dead on Facebook and like our page and share it with others and follow us on Twitter. We're on the YouTube now. We are on the YouTube. We, right. did, we did not do video tonight. That's okay. Uh, because our last video looked like we were in the basement of the Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to try to work on our lighting yeah. a little bit, right? <laughs> Buffalo Bob or Bill. <laughs> down we're here. at the basket. All right. The man cave is <laughs> awesome, but it didn't look so good. On All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining Ed's Not Dead. Please spread the word about our show. We love it that you tune in every episode. Make sure you come back for episode 13 in a few weeks. Go Patriots, and we'll talk to you soon. Go Eagles.